Amen. We stand in the gospel, on the gospel, and we stand on Christ, our cornerstone. It's great to see you here this morning. My name is Marty Price, and I welcome you to the service, along with the other welcomes that you have received. I will just make a note, if you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, and you look around and you, you see somebody kind of dozing, it's because we really worked some people really hard yesterday. And they have unofficial permission to uh, lament that a little bit today. But no, it was, it was a great day and a great time. As a matter of fact, <laughs> wow, I don't know what happened there. As a matter of fact, um, we had a lot of opportunity for people to be short-tempered and fight yesterday, and nobody did. I'm always a little surprised. That's because there was the Spirit of Christ there. Yeah, that's exactly right. The Spirit of Christ and fellowship and unity. It was a great thing, serving alongside of one another. We, our series, though, is called Fighting Christians. And what we have looked at in our series is we began looking at when Christians disagree, when they argue over personal convictions. One person will say, I'm permitted to go here or to do this. And the other person will say, well, no, I'm not. I believe this is a sin. And we looked at Romans 14 in the first seven verses of Romans 15. And we talked about the difference in personal convictions where there's no clear prescription, you must do this. Our clear prohibition, you must not do that. And so we, we, we dealt with the fact that simply per, uh, personal convictions are not absolute truths. And so it was a great study. I'm not going to preach it again. I would encourage you to go back if you have any questions about that and walk through Romans chapter 14 and Romans chapter 15. And then the next week we came back and talked about when, when it gets personal, when, when we have personal conflicts and when it's appropriate to give and to forgive. How, how do you deal when there's a, a personal fight that takes place? And, and we, we dealt with, with those sorts of things, which are important for us as believers to walk in unity, to recognize that we are made one in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's a one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are one body. There is one God. There is one baptism. And we talked about when conflict gets personal, how we are to respond. Don't be quick to take offense. You guys remember, right? I'm sure Everybody remembers every, every point in the outline. Uh, but this week, we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about when conflict gets personal. When Zion read the scripture earlier, we had a confrontation. There's a guy who wrote that letter. His name is Paul. And boy, by the way, go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to stay pretty close to the text this morning. There's a guy who wrote that letter. His name is Paul. And what is going on in the context of Galatians chapter 2 Galatians, this is the earliest or one of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. And we read, Zion read, we read along with him about Paul calling out Cephas. Now, who is Cephas? That is the Aramaic name for Peter. Now, everybody knows who Peter was. Peter was the preacher of Pentecost. Peter was the, the, the leader of the disciples, the apostles, the one closest to Jesus' heart in a lot of different ways. Certainly one of the three, the one that is most prominent. And here's Paul correcting Peter publicly. Is there ever a time when it's appropriate to call somebody out publicly? We live in a culture that does. You guys know that, right? You know, are y'all on social media? You can go to any Twitter, tweet, Instagram, you can, uh, Facebook, I guess. And, you, you, and people are always calling out this or calling out that, usually with the, tent, with the intent to shame, to call attention to what's right sometimes, to correct sometimes, but sometimes simply with the intent to shame. There's a lot of calling that goes out in our world today. And there are times when it's appropriate to call people out in the life of the church. I want to share with you an experience that I had early in my ministry. I was in my later 20s. 
I was pastoring the uh, First Baptist, or not First Baptist, the Deaf Church in McAllen, Texas. And I was also pastoring the Deaf Church in Brownsville, Texas, and the Deaf Church in Harlington, Texas. And I don't know if you're familiar with South Texas, but I would start in the morning and drive to McAllen, and we would have a service there at 8.30. And then I would drive to Harlington, and we would have a service there. I don't remember what time it was, but it was after that. And then I would drive to Brownsville, and we would have a service there. And this was Sunday, church, 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 one pastor, three churches. And uh, a missionary was coming through. The pastor at First Baptist, McAllen, actually recommended him and said, hey, here's a guy that's coming through. He said, I'm not recommending him. I'm just letting you know he's coming through. And, and that guy got in touch with me, and he said, can I preach? And I said, well, honestly, I was thinking, it'd be nice to sit and listen to a sermon. Had not met the guy, didn't know him, and he stood up to preach at McAllen Deaf Church. And after he got warmed up into his sermon just a little ways, he said something that was not only wrong, it was offensive, and it was a problem. He looked out across the deaf congregation, and he said, Now, those of you who are deaf, you don't have to be. Deafness is sickness. Sickness is a punishment from God. And if you had enough faith, you would be able to hear. And my eyes crossed and my face turned red. (laughs) And I stood up and said, that's a lie. That's not true. You're done. You can sit down or you can leave. And then I stood up and the rest of the sermon was explaining why what he said was negative to the character of God, negative to the reality of the situation, antithetical to the truth of Scripture. We have a sovereign, providential God. And it was essential that I, in my role as pastor of that church, stand up and call him out and call him down. But I didn't like doing it. And I don't let people preach in the pulpit I'm responsible for that don't meet Okay, since that time. Is it ever appropriate to call somebody down or to call somebody out? Or do we, it, it, there are times. There are times. That's what's going on kind of similar in Galatians chapter 2 today. We're going to talk us through some steps. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to get a worship guide. But we're going to walk, talk us through some steps just observing what's happening with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is the missionary to the Gentiles. And he established the church at Galatia. He's sending this letter to the church in, in the Galatian region, the Galatian Christians. And he's been there and he's proclaimed the gospel. And many people have gotten saved. And he begins in chapter 1 simply saying, I'm amazed at how quickly you have diverged. You've fallen away from the gospel. You remember in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, he says, if anybody comes to you with any other gospel, even if he's an angel, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. And he goes on to explain I didn't get this gospel from people. I got this gospel when I met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. You guys remember that story? It's found in Acts chapter 9. Paul's on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus Christ appears to him, the resurrected Christ. He falls off of his horse, um, and and he, he becomes saved. He meets Christ there. He's radically transformed. He goes from a terrorist persecuting the church to a missionary on behalf of Christ, an ambassador, a representative. And a Jew of the Jews, God sends him to the enemy. He sends him to the Gentiles, the people that the Jews wouldn't even sit down over a meal with. Can y'all still see me? All right. We don't know what that is. That's okay. We're just going to keep right on going, okay? 
You never know what's going to happen around here. I'm just going to let, throw that out there, and, and we'll leave it. I am going to stop my watch from talking to me today. Um, anyway, so he, he, he says, I met Christ personally. And after I met Christ, I went out into the wilderness. He went out into the Nabataean Arabian wilderness for three years. I had a seminary professor who said that Paul went into the wilderness with the law, the history, and the prophets. And he came out of the wilderness with Romans and Galatians and Philippians. Three years, he communed with Christ. And then 14, and then he came to Jerusalem. He met Peter and he met James. He didn't get instructed by them. He's careful to explain this gospel I've been preaching. I didn't get it from them. I got it from the source of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he went and preached this gospel for 14 years. He went back to Damascus. He ended up in Tarsus. And he preached this gospel to the Gentiles for 14 years. He came back to Jerusalem, met some of the disciples there, just a few, Peter, James, the brother of Jesus. And they gave him the right hand of fellowship, which meant they simply affirmed the gospel that he was preaching. By the way, this is important. The gospel is important. It is how people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, how people begin to have a relationship <laughs> with God. <laughs> okay. See, the gospel is important. All right. That's exactly right. So the gospel is essential. You understand that? It's how a person gets forgiven of their sin, how they get washed, how a person is made right with a God whom they have offended because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our, we're accountable for our sin. God placed that accountability, that debt he placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty important stuff. Salvation by grace. We don't deserve it. Through faith, the entrusting of our life, holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a transformational experience. Then God makes us alive. He makes us new. He makes us into something we've never been before. And just as we sang just a minute ago, and I wish I could remember the lyrics perfectly, I'm standing in the gospel alone. I'm not adding anything to it. I'm not bringing anything to it. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. Good? So Paul's making this case. Now, I'm just going to walk around. I'm going to make it challenging on the guys in the back as though it weren't challenging enough already. Here's what happened. Jerusalem church, mostly Jews. Peter preached at Pentecost. Many saved. Some years later, persecution. And many of those Christians, believers, both Greek Jews and strict traditional Jews, were persecuted, and so they scattered. They went different places. If you go up north and just a little bit west, there's a place called Antioch. And in Antioch, a lot of those Christians settled, and they began to share this gospel with people. And all of a sudden, there's a big church at Antioch, but it's way different than the church in Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem, still many of them dress like Jews, follow the Jewish dietary meals, the customs. Everything's pretty, pretty rigidly structured. In Antioch, they're almost all pagans that got saved. I'm, I'm confident that their worship services look different. I'm com now, their theology was the same. The gospel was the same. But I'm confident that there was a pretty radically different nature or character or personality of the congregation. Well, the Jewish Christians heard about it, and they said, we, we need to make sure this is legit. And so they sent Barnabas. Barnabas goes, and he's like, man, God is moving and working there. It is great stuff. And so he goes and gets Paul, brings Paul back, and they stay there and they teach. Now, this is a mostly Gentile church. Here's what happened. 
what, what, what Paul is addressing, Cephas, Peter, went to Antioch, and there he was eating with the Gentiles. Now, you understand, this is not an argument about food, right? Not arguing about food. The Jews were so strict in their dietary restrictions. You know, of course, obviously no pork, no shrimp, stuff like that. But also, they, they had to wash their hands in a certain way. Jews did not, traditional Jews did not even eat in the presence of Gentiles. And now they're having a, an agape meal, a fellowship meal, and they're all eating together. And Peter has been through this experience where God's revealed to him all those laws no longer apply. Those were Old Testament laws to keep people healthier for whatever reason, but those are completely changed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did that by giving him a vision where he sent down this, this sheet filled with animals, and he said, take and eat. And Peter said, I can't. They're, they're unclean. And God said, don't you call anything I made unclean. And he had that same vision three times, and then he sent Peter himself in Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius, to a Gentile man. And, and Peter shared the gospel, and Peter knew that the gospel was by grace through faith, not Jewish traditions added to that. Were we clear? But Peter's over here, and he's eating with the Gentiles, and all of a sudden, here come this group of Jews from Jerusalem. And these are traditionalists. These are the people who are adding to the gospel. They say, you, you Gentiles can be Christians, but you need to be circumcised, and you need to follow Jewish dietary laws. And you need to follow all the traditions in addition to salvation by grace through faith. I mean, they're adding to the gospel. Well, when they showed up, this scripture says, <laughs> I can just imagine the look on Paul's face when he looks around like, where's Peter? All the Gentile Christians were here eating together, bacon. Where, where's Peter? Well, Peter, who ate with us yesterday, has gone over there, and he's eating with them now. And these are the strict dietary laws. He didn't want to even eat in the same room, not to add to it, but that was the tradition of the day. And all of a sudden, Paul's like, why? Because these are the people who are adding to the gospel, and Peter's presence is affirming heresy. You understand that? He's changing. At the very least, he's muddying the gospel. Greater, though, he is, he is denying the gospel in the way he behaved. And so Paul calls him out. Now, if you're taking notes, when is it appropriate to call somebody out? When the offense is important, when it's a big deal. Is there any bigger deal than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there anything that we cannot negotiate on, that we cannot muddy the waters on, that we have to maintain crystal clear, crystal clarity, crystal clarity than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 14, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, in step with is the word orthopedo, orthopedo, does that sound familiar anybody? Ortho means straight, pedo means foot, pedo, p-o-d-e-o is, is how it's spelled in the Greek. And what it means is walking straight. He's not walking straight. He has diverged. He has fallen away from the gospel. And so this is important enough that it needs to be called out public, publicly. Oregon was telling me about an experience he had in a local church some years ago where a man stood up in the pulpit and said the virgin birth is not necessary for the gospel. And Oregon, if, if, if I got this wrong, I'll let you straighten me out. But Oregon spoke up in the service and said, that's a lie. It, it, Am I close? 
Okay. You can ask him how well that was received. He said when he came back the next week, there was plenty of seats around him. <laughs> Nobody wanted to get too close. I'm going to tell you it's okay when, it, when it's the gospel. It's okay when it's a big deal, when it's important. Peter, avoiding conflict with the Judaizers, was in effect affirming their false teaching. He was validating their false gospel. And so Paul said, I told him to his face before them all. He called him out in public. And he called him out in public because the offense was public. And Peter was a very public person. He was the leader of the apostles. This was the preacher of Pentecost. From Paul's example, how do you know when to call someone out public? When it's an important thing. You don't, again, it's not just taking every chance to shame somebody or say you're wrong about this, you're wrong about that. But particularly for us, when you, when you make it public, it needs to be something that is important to the kingdom of God, important to believers. But the other component of this is the offense needs to be public. When I was a youth, I sang in the choir at Metropolitan Baptist Church, the adult choir, Metropolitan Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, small congregation. And so they needed every voice they could get. And one night, Wednesday night, we were rehearsing, and I was kind of on the back row because in our church all the women sat on the front row and all the men sat on the back row. And I was sitting there, and the choir director was leading, and there was a lady sitting out in the congregation, and he turned around. Uh, her name was Gloria. He turned around to Gloria, and he said, Gloria, why don't you come sing with us? And she said, no, that's not going to happen. I had just been talking to her husband, Terrell, and Terrell had said, you yeah, know, we'll consider singing in the choir. And I said, oh, Gloria, you can. I already talked to Terrell. He said he would consider singing in the choir. And she said, that's not true. And she got up and ran out of the room. I was embarrassed, obviously, kind of that awkward silence. And then we went ahead with choir rehearsal. I forgot about it, but that night, that evening when we got home, the phone rang. Dad picked up the phone. And he said, you know, hello, you want Marty? Marty? Okay, sure. Hands the phone to me, and it's Gloria. And Gloria said, weeping. She said, I was wrong to holler at you like that. To speak to you like I did, and I'm sorry, and I ask your forgiveness. And of course, I'm like, oh, you know, I started saying, that's normal in my life, that's okay. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I said, no, that's fine. You, 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 I, I certainly forgive you, it's not a problem at all. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Anyway, we resolved that. That was very good. I hung up, and Dad said, all right, son, what was that about? And I told him the whole story, and he said, well, she did it wrong. I said, what? She didn't have to do anything. He said, no, she did it wrong. If the offense is public, the apology needs to be public. If the offense is public, the correction needs to be public. Um, I never forgot what Dad called the principle of the sphere of influence. Okay. So, if the, the it, you don't want to make things any more public, particularly correction, than they need to be to accomplish their purpose. Otherwise, you create additional problems. And so if there's a personal offense, you deal with it personally. What does Matthew chapter 18 verse say? If your brother sins against you, go to him personally. It's only when he won't listen. Then you come back with a couple of other people, and that's mostly to clarify the issue, to make sure everybody understands what's going on. And so the sphere of influence is an important component. When it's an important issue and when the offense is public, then, again, both of those were what was happening here when Paul addressed Peter. 
Peter's sin was public indeed. And you have to love Paul. He's unafraid to speak up. He's unafraid to even call out Peter. But I want to caution us all not to be quick to call somebody out. I mentioned Matthew 18. The general rule of thumb and sanctified common sense is that we should not make a matter more public than it has to be. If your brother sins against you, go. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you've gained a brother. It's resolved. If he does not listen, take two or three others along with you that every charge may be established so that there's clarity. Before you even consider calling out someone publicly, you need to be sure that you understand the offense. And that's the third point on the outline. You don't jump to conclusions. You don't put your foot. Anybody ever put their foot in their mouth? Anybody ever said something and say, oh, I wish I could just take that back? I, I make a lot of mistakes. I have made so many mistakes. Again, back when I was pastor of the Deaf Church in Texas, we went to a conference. Suzanne will remember the conference. There were some things happened there that uh, embarrassed me and things that I really disagreed with. And being young and, I don't know, I like to think fervent. I think foolish is a better <laughs> description. I wrote a letter to the pastor of a church that I thought did something they shouldn't have done. But in my hubris... I also copied the letter to every other pastor of every deaf church in the state of Texas. If I ever am tempted to do that again, y'all just shut me down quickly, okay? That pastor generously sent me a letter back. He said, thank you for what you shared. Thank you for letting me know. We did what we did, and he explained why they did what they did and why they did how they did it. And it was certainly reasonable, whether I agreed or not. It was not a theological issue. It was, it was public, but it wasn't theological. It wasn't important. It was a matter of taste, and, uh, and, and it was horrible for me to recognize my own immature behavior. Can I tell you, you don't get to call somebody out until you've thoroughly prayed through and thought through what's going on, or unless it's crystal clear. Does that make sense? All right, it's got to be important. It's got to be public. You've got to make sure that you're exercising discernment, certainty, and clarity. But there are also another consideration is you need to be, at least in some, to some extent, permitting harm to the one who is doing wrong or those he has influence over. What, what happened in our text? Peter removed himself from the Gentiles, and he went and ate with the Jews, but he didn't go alone. There are other Jewish Christians here in Antioch, and we've been having this agape feast this love feast if you will the meals the meals throughout the day the fellowship time when we come together and we eat together without dietary restrictions because everything is good from God and then the the Judaizers come the Jewish people that Peter is afraid of for his reputation uh, for the impact that they can have on his ministry for what he's going to be telling people when they get back to Jerusalem for whatever reason he goes over there but he doesn't go alone. He takes other Jewish Christians who've been eating over here now with him, including Barnabas. And Barnabas is the people person. Barnabas is the encourager, the son of encouragement, the gracious guy. And when Paul saw what they were doing and the impact it was having on them, that's one of the reasons that he had to speak up and speak, call Peter out to his face. All right, so you have to consider the impact the sphere of impact, the sphere of influence. And can you imagine having been a Gentile Christian in that church, radically saved, made you in Christ, praising the Lord for grace that redeemed you from idol worship, that redeemed you from uh, any sort of pagan practice or just atheism, just, just deism, just, just a complete separation from God, and now you've met God. And all of a sudden, here are these guys saying, 
you got to do something else. And then Peter goes and identifies with them rather than us. The impact that would have had upon these as young Christians. My goodness. Other Jewish Christians followed him into error. And the impact of his behavior was to muddy or contradict the truth of the gospel, particularly in a Gentile church. And so Paul had no choice. To do what's right, to stand for truth by calling Peter out publicly. Now, I want to give you one last point on this, but it's not the last point on your outline. Don't get your hopes up. Sometimes you call someone out when a heavier hand is needed. Back to Matthew 18. If there's an error, and it may be an error in doctrine, all right? This context is simply if your brother sins against you. But in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, if there's, a, if there's a, 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 a sin or even a doctoral sin among the teaching elders of the church, the elders of the church, you need to, number one, go back to number three, make sure you understand the offense, have two or three witnesses, and then you need to go and correct him, and then you need to correct him publicly so that the harm is not imposed upon the congregation for the health of the whole congregation. And so, so here in Matthew 18, if there's an offense... I go try to make it right. If I can't make it right, then I take somebody with me and make sure I'm not wrong. Make sure that we are processing this. Make sure we're clear on this. But if this person is wrong, and it may be wrong in doctrine, it may be wrong in behavior or something, then it's appropriate to get the whole congregation involved. Sometimes it, it, for the good of the person and for the good of limiting their sphere of influence, you need to call them out publicly because a heavier hand is needed. I will tell you, Paul did that. He identified people by name throughout Scripture. In 2 Timothy 1.15, you're aware that all who are in Asia turn away from me. Among them are Philegius and Hermogenes. In 1 Timothy 1.19 and 20, by rejecting the faith and good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. There's always Demas. They've got a whole list of people that Paul says, watch out for these guys, and he calls them out by name publicly. It's important. So when it is necessary, don't be quick, but when it is necessary, I'm going to walk through some steps really quick to make sure that in this particularly, not even, but in this particularly, that we glorify God in our behavior. Amen? That's our goal, right? Have I lost you? Do we need the lights to go off and on again? Yes. <laughs> we want to glorify God in our behavior. Before you call someone out, check your heart. Check your heart. What are your motives? Why? Why? Is it to justify yourself? Have they offended you personally? Have they made you mad? Is that a sign of immaturity on your part rather than a sign of an error on their part? Have they hurt your feelings, your bruised your ego? Have they done something that makes you feel kind of mm, against them? And so every chance you get, you got to say, I'm calling them out. I'm letting them know to their face and about them. I'm going to let them know. No. You understand, you've got to check your heart. We want God to be glorified in this. We're dealing with truth, eternal truth. We are ambassadors for Christ. When the world looks at us, they should see the Lord Jesus Christ, not a bunch of petty people trying to justify ourselves or to defend our own pride. It's a different thing. So you've got to check the motives of your heart. It's important to be aware that there is some perverse pleasure and knowing when someone is wrong and you're setting them straight. You ever done that? That was one of my dad's favorite things. I don't know what's wrong with him, but I'm going to set him straight. You're setting them straight. We think that 
we're superior, that we've outsmarted them, and it's satisfying. And if we are ever correcting someone, it needs to be in all humility, with clarity, dealing with the issue. Are you with me? Check your heart. The second thing is you need to act with the right intention. Act with the right intention. The goal should not be to make the other person feel worse for their bad doctrine or behavior. The goal is to correct it, to change it. And calling out should always have the component of calling forth. That's wrong. This is right. That's wrong. This is right. And not on my authority, but on the authority of the Word of God. That's wrong. That's error. And let me explain what God's Word has to say. As a matter of fact, let's let God's Word explain itself and tell us what he has to say. And if it's an essential doctrine, it may be worth the fight. If it's a non-essential doctrine, it's probably not worth calling somebody out publicly. You want to sit down and have a conversation with them. You with me? Important differentiation. Act, differentiate, difference. Act with the right intention. The goal should be to correct false doctrine, particularly when it comes to the gospel, not to tear down the person, not just to justify or exalt yourself, but to correct error. The tendency is to change from criticizing a person's action, because you can do that, right? You can criticize a person's action, and all of a sudden, we begin criticizing the person. It kind of morphs. You get that, right? It's not about what you said. Now it's about you. Paul to Peter said, you're behaving hypocritically here and now, and it's having a negative impact, and I'm going to straighten out the false doctrine you're perpetuating by your behavior by proclaiming doctrine. Paul didn't bring up Peter's character flaws. Stay on point. Stay on point. Point number three. Paul did not bring up Peter's character flaws or past wrong. He kept his focus on the current issue. He didn't reframe the disagreement. He didn't replace specific details with some sort of general broad strokes in a less accurate version. He didn't expand it and say, oh, Peter, you just don't like Gentiles anymore, do you? You don't want to be part of the church. Oh, Peter, you're just, you're just brown-nosing the Jews. You're just, you're just going along to get along. He, he dealt with the specific behavior and told them why it was wrong. And what was right, stay on point. And then the motivation needs to be both correction and protection. Listen to this. You need to be simultaneously bold and humble. You need to be gentle and caring while speaking clearly about important, harmful error. You need to correct those who oppose sound doctrine without turning into a monster yourself and you need to love truth and grace at the same time when we did our values here you guys remember our values we had a list of six values that we identified as a congregation and as leadership and we talk about them a lot and one of the first things years ago years and years ago long time ago we had a group of people over in the other building we were praying about what our values should be and the discussion was between which should be first which should be number one should we value people? Jesus loves people. We ought to love people. We're commanded to love people. Isn't that right? Or should we value truth? Which, they're both important. We value them both. But which one? Which one do you value over the other? Well, here's what we learn. And here's what we believe. You can't value people right until you value truth. When you value people over truth, what happens is... You bless people, you affirm people in whatever error, biblical error. Again, our authority is scripture. We don't sit down and make this stuff up. 
When you value people, you love them and you speak to them lovingly and carefully, humbly and boldly, proclaiming the truth of God's word that transforms life. And when you understand truth and when you value truth and when you pursue truth, then you can love people well and completely and thoroughly, better than you could in any other way. And then we came here and we said, you know what? We love truth and we value it and we love people, we value it. But the number one value is loving God. What's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy soul and thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we get that from the truth of God's word. It's important that we correct and protect. It's important that we are faithful to what God says that we're to do. Now, let me just mention something else real quick. You ever been called out publicly? Yes. Have you? I, I, I appreciate the response. Um, I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a, I'm a country, loud preacher's kid who went to a lot of conferences and meetings. And when I went, I'll never forget the first time it happened. I was about nine years old. Who here is nine years old? Give me some frame of reference. Carter, are you nine? Okay, Carter's nine. Who else is? Okay. And I was misbehaving. Now, I know none of these guys misbehave. But I was misbehaving, and Dad was preaching in a meeting. And uh, I have a twin brother, so I never did anything alone, and it was always his fault. <laughs> but Dad looked, and he pointed, and he said, Marty, go sit with your mother. And she was on the front row. <coughs> Buddy, it took about four years to walk from down there down here. <laughs> it, it, was, it was tough. I, I've, been, I've been called out, and I have to tell you, it wasn't the first time, it wasn't the last, well, that was the first time, but it wasn't the last time that it happened uh, when my dad was, was pastoring. It's no fun being called out. I've been in meetings and conferences where people have stood up and addressed things, and sometimes in a very good manner, sometimes in a less manner. You may get called out. You may get called out at work. You have been confronted by a boss on the job. You ever been in a meeting and somebody confronts you and says, no, that's wrong, or, or they call you out in some manner, less or greater? How do you respond? Let me give you some steps here just really quick. The first thing uh, that I want you to do is to just pause, take a breath. But, guys, that's not going to be your first response. You guys have heard of flight and fight, right? First thing you want to do is either run away or run toward. You want to defend yourself. Defense is always the first response to attack. You want to run away and run forward. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, Lord, I'm not my own of being bought with a price. I got no pride here that I'm trying to protect. I want you to be glorified in my behavior and my activity. And so I just want to pause and take a breath and process. So don't react immediately. Pause. And then what are you saying? What am I hearing you saying? I need to understand what it is that you're telling me. You guys ever get an email and the first time you read it, it says one thing, but the second time you read it, it says something else? And it's the same email? There are a lot of times when I'll read something, it's like, whoa. And then i got to back up and read it again and read it carefully, read it slowly, process it. First thing that you do is you pause, catch your breath. Second thing is that you understand what is the critique, what is the criticism, what is it that I'm being corrected on. And then the third is I want you to consider is there any legitimacy to the correction? You understand what I'm saying? How much of this is true? By the way, when you consider, you also consider the source. 
Now, I love all y'all in here, but if Suzanne tells me something, she carries more weight than anybody else in this room. She knows me better than anybody else in this room. She loves me better than anybody else in this room. So you need to consider the source. But you need to consider the validity of the correction. And if it's not valid, it doesn't matter, does it? It just goes away. If it is valid, then you acknowledge where you put your foot in your mouth or where you said it wrong or where what you've been teaching is wrong. And then you come back and you repair. You fix the damage that was done to the extent that you can. Now just imagine Peter over here with the Jews. Paul calls him out publicly saying, you're out of step with the gospel. The gospel is you don't add anything to grace. We are saved because of the kindness of God who looked down through history and who saw us in our need, who sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly and without sin. Because we sin, there's a penalty that comes for sin, and it is death. God is just. He has always been just. A just God cannot forgive the guilty. You can't justify the guilty unless someone takes his place. And God himself took on the form of human flesh, went to the cross, took on human flesh, went to the cross, bore in his body the penalty for our sins, and God poured out his wrath on him. And then he died, the wages of sin is death, and he was raised again, defeating death, and he offers eternal life to all who will come to him in repentance and faith. And that is the goal here. That is the process. That is the purpose. It is by grace, through faith, repentance and faith. It is turning away from the life that I have lived and saying, God, I want you. I will follow you. You're the boss. I give my life to you. And he saves you. And he makes you into something that you've never been before. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. All things become new. And he begins this process of refining you and the life of Christ that he put within you, all that righteousness. He begins to bring it out through experiences, some of them really fun experiences, some of them really horrible experiences. But he demonstrates his faithfulness. And you learn of God through Bible study. And you learn more of God, the person of God, through your obedience as you walk in him step by step. And one day, he takes you home and you get to spend an eternity with him in heaven. It's the gospel and it's what matters. That's why Paul said we are justified in the remaining verses of this passage, not by works. We don't add anything to the gospel. And I'm confident that when Paul confronted Peter, he preached a sermon. Don't you think he did? I'm confident that he did. You are wrong, and here's why you're wrong. We couldn't keep the law. We didn't get saved by obeying the law. Everyone gets saved in the same way, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of sanctified imagination here. I can imagine Peter standing up and saying, you're right, and I'm wrong. And moving from the table that was advocating adding tradition to the gospel back to the table where Jew and Gentile, Christian, now fellowshiped and ate together. I read one commentary, and the guy said, I can just hear Peter saying, pass the pork. (laughs) Isn't that great? So here's what we do. Don't be quick to call people out publicly. Don't. Make sure it's an important enough issue 
I think that's a big deal. See what sphere of influence it's in. Make sure you understand and clarify the issue. I will tell you that when you're able to do it, you do it with humility and grace while being bold and clear. Because I'm going to tell you, what you say you live with, you understand that, right? What you say you live with. And when you are called out, pause. Listen what they're saying. Consider, is it worth listening to? Is it valid? Is it not valid? Throw away what's invalid. Embrace what is valid. If you need to make corrections, make retractions. Because i got tech news for you. You don't have to defend your reputation. You don't have one. All of our reputation ought to be on not I, but Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. I am simply here so that others may see Jesus in me. Amen? Amen. Isn't God good? Oh, let's do that again. Isn't God good? Father, thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness that you have given us in his son. I thank you that you called me out when I was separated from you and did not know you. When my eyes were dark and my mind was deceived. I pray, Father, that you will teach us how to behave in such a way that our lives bear witness to this glorious gospel that Paul so fervently defends and that he so repeatedly communicates. Because it's the main thing. It is is the person of, of Christ. It is the reason that he came to seek and to save the lost. And so I pray, Father, that you will continue to work your way in our hearts and our lives. Put a control over our tongue. Put a control over our attitude. Help us to be humble and bold. Help us to be graceful and clear in our communication, that your name is exalted. In your name I pray. Amen.